Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls People's Fans. Doug Donis here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And we've got a few different pieces of news today. We've got the schedule, which was just released. And beyond the Bulls schedule, we've also got a bunch of quotes now coming out of the different Zoom Media Day style interviews. And unlike the past, they're kind of like rolling them out like one or two a day instead of all at once on one big media day. And I think that's an interesting way to do it in this pandemic kind of gives you this news and different quotes and things to get excited about a little bit piecemeal instead of you know all at one time but we'll start off with the schedule and a lot of people on twitter seem to think the bulls schedule is really hard to begin with or harder than normal to begin with and i think you mainly look at seeing the lakers twice the clippers twice and the mavericks twice i think you see that you're like man this is kind of a rough opening to this schedule because those are perhaps the three best teams in the west maybe everyone doesn't have dallas quite so high as i do But I think with Houston looking like they're going to fall off and Denver maybe is the other team that would possibly be up there. And the Bulls do get Denver once at the very end of this part of the schedule. Maybe that's the other team people up there. But I I think those are kind of like the teams that maybe you think are going to be really good. And on the East, I don't don't know if you really are that scared of anyone per se. I mean, Milwaukee probably. We got one game against Milwaukee. But I think it's that LA-LA style in the front that makes people seem a little bit nervous but here's here's where I'm coming from I think the schedule is actually not that bad Atlanta kickoff I think this is the best opening game that the Bulls could have from a fan fun perspective because Atlanta really might be the team we are competing with for that eighth spot if the Bulls are going to come together and they're going to play well that might be the team we're going to compete with now Indiana comes next and Indiana is one of the not so great teams in the east I peg them at somewhere between you know, 6 and 10, probably on the higher end of that range before the game start, but it wouldn't surprise me if they fall off. And if the Bulls are a good team this year, if they're going to play well and they are improved and things are going to go well, that's absolutely a winnable game. If you start calling games like Indiana tough games, it means you've already got a loser's mindset and this team isn't going to do anything. You follow that up by the Golden State Warriors, and I guess maybe they're going to be a little bit tougher because (laughs) Stephen Curry and Draymond Green aren't hurt yet. But you know, at some point, this isn't a team, now that they're missing Clay Thompson, that I think you look at in the same way of these old Warriors. I'm actually not that scared of the Warriors. They were the worst team in the league last year, obviously, with everyone out. Uh, I think this year they'll be a little better for sure, but with Clay out again for the season, I think, I think the Warriors are just done. And again, if this is a team that scares you so much, it just means your team's not that great. I think they'll be okay if everyone stays healthy. Maybe they're a 500-ish team, maybe they're a low-rung playoff team, but they're not dangerous anymore without Clay Thompson, without Kevin Durant. And only with Steph and, and Draymond and not really a whole lot else there. Maybe maybe Andrew Wiggins takes some huge step forward, but I don't think anyone expects that. So, you know, it's not like a, it's not a game I think they'll be favored in, but it's a game they could win. You got two games against Washington, which now maybe look a little bit tougher with Russell Westbrook there than with John Wall. I mean, I think we kind of figured John Wall coming off the Achilles is maybe never going to be a great player. Ironically, everyone thinks Kevin Durant's going to be a great player, but everyone has dismissed John Wall as never going to be able to come back again, which I, I think is interesting. Uh, John Wall certainly probably relies a little bit more on his athleticism than Kevin Durant does, so I guess it's not entirely unfair. But again, these are two teams up until that trade where you'd have said these games are worse than the Bulls, so you know, your first five games there don't seem tough. You then play Milwaukee, and then you play Dallas. I think those are, are two really hard games. And you come into Portland and Sacramento, and I think those games are, are games you should both view as winnable games too if this team is good. So that's our first nine games, and you know I'd, I'd say seven of those, you know, you're not playing like really elite teams. I, mean, I don't know what you want. Now, 
it gets a little tougher than that. You got the Lakers, Clippers, and Boston following that. Those are, you know, the Clippers and Lakers should be two amazing teams, and, and the Celtics should be a good team in the East, but I don't know if they're so far ahead. And then you got the Oklahoma City Thunder, which should be one of the worst teams in the league, most likely, after they traded Chris Paul and have kind of like dumped everything they can for future draft picks. So you get a little respite there, followed by Dallas and Houston. Who knows what Houston's going to be this year? Charlotte, a team kind of in the same boat as us, competing for that uh, 8 through 10 spot. And then Lakers, Boston, Memphis, another team sort of like us. Portland, another team sort of like us. So, you know, I think people are looking at some of these games like Portland and being like, oh, man, they're really good. Boston, oh, man, they're really good. Memphis, yeah, really tough. Again, if you, if you look at those games and say those are losses you know, right off the bat, it just means you already think this team is terrible. There's only so many games this year against the Knicks and the Wizards. And you know we got like four of those games already out of six total in this front half of the schedule too. Uh, two against Charlotte in the front half of the schedule. There's not that many bad teams out there in the league going in. There's a lot of teams with hopes. We got both our games against the Kings in the front half of the schedule. So uh, you know, I just don't know which, what else you'd want. I guess I'd put it that way. Like, I think in the end, when you have 37 games in the front half, uh, it's probably going to end up looking pretty balanced just because the NBA schedule is fairly balanced for everyone. But if you look at this and say it's hard, I think you're just looking at the Bulls and saying they're probably not that good. And that might be the case. This team might not be that good. You know, it wouldn't shock me if they're kind of lousy. But if they are, then no schedule was going to change that. You know, we weren't going to get scheduled against the Knicks, you know, 40 games in a row. So that's just how it goes. Anyway. That'll be that'll be it for the schedule. I, I think schedule analysis is always a little bit uh, a little bit weird. I actually kind of like the start of the schedule though because I think all of those games before you play an elite team, maybe you're not the favorite in all those, but you, you got five games at the beginning that you have a chance in, and I, I think that's as it's about as much as you can hope for really. Uh, so going on to media day, uh, lots of quotes, and I, I, I'm not going to kind of read through all of them. I, I might read through a few of them, but I think the one thing that was interesting is you sort of have this overall theme that has formed that there's just been uh, a, a cloud lifted off this team. The weight of, uh, of the world has been lifted off this team and that everyone is just a million times happier. And, and whether that's because Billy Donovan is so much greater, whether it's because the front office has changed, whether it's because it's free preseason and people are just happy to have basketball back, uh, whether it's because it's preseason and people just always say great things about how happy they are for the year to start because it hasn't actually started yet. and They've not actually had any negativity. And when you go into these seasons, it's easy to, to, to think everything is going to be great before uh, it gets proven to be bad. And the questions are always tougher after you lost five of, you know, 15 games or lost 10 of 15 games and you're five and 10 uh, than they are when you're zero and zero looking at the start of the season and you've, you've done all your work and you feel positive about what it's going to be until you go up against everyone else who's done all their work. Uh, so we'll, we'll wait to see what kind of happens there. But uh, that, that comment was kind of made by Zach. It was made by Lowry. It was made by Kobe. It was made by Wendell Carter. Uh, I thought this one by Carter was interesting uh, in, in how he feels he'll be used. I think there's a lot of things. Uh, sorry, that was I'm reading the wrong one. That, that was uh, uh, Billy Donovan on Carter. I, I got, the, got the wrong quote. Here's Carter's quote. New front office, new style of play. I feel like the style of play I've been presented, it's going to be amazing. I feel like Coach Donovan is catering our offense and defense to everyone's strengths. And we've heard that a little bit. And one thing I'll note is the Oklahoma City Thunder played entirely different around Russell Westbrook than they did around Chris Paul. And I think they played to the strengths of both of those players to get the most out of both of those players. So I do really hope that Billy Donovan is a guy who can find a way to play to all the guys' strengths. And I think Wendell Carter Jr. was one of the guys who... I point out before, 
for a few reasons, I think has a chance to come back and just really blow you away with how different of a player he is than what we thought he was. Now, there's a, a, a very good chance, majority chance, he's just going to come back and be kind of like an okay player, and, and he's not going to be so great. And, but the case for him coming back is, one, I think of all the players who was maybe misused the most out of the players on the team last year, and then out of all the players who you know kind of still youngish, he is younger in NBA days, and he is younger in training, and younger in opportunity to improve his game than he is in physical seasons in the NBA and everything else. And what I mean by that is this guy missed basically a full season, you know, half of a season twice, and he missed a full offseason once, and he only had the offseason between uh, college and his rookie season. And so now he's had eight, nine months to really just work on his game where he's been healthy and been able to do it, and I think that is going to make a huge difference with Wendell Carter Jr., potentially. And he's going to come into a team that's going to cater to his strengths, potentially. That's how he views it. So I think if he really put in the work and he comes into camp in shape, and he came into camp way out of shape last year, but that was partially just because he was hurt all year. He couldn't work out. He couldn't do whatever. He was sitting in a chair, and that's not his fault. You know, That's just the way it went. And so I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that he comes into camp in amazing shape this year, that he really put in the work, and that if he did, his game actually expands a lot more from when we last seen it. And I think that's a real possibility. I really do. I, I don't know for sure. I, I wasn't watching his workouts. I didn't see the Wendell Carter Instagram, like, cherry-picked workouts of him doing crazy stuff. But there's a chance, because he's not had those opportunities in the past, and because he wasn't fit well in the offense in the past, that you're just going to see a totally different player. And that's one of my keys to this season. If, if Wendell Carter Jr. comes out, and he's a totally different player, I, th- I think that's like the number one thing that can happen that's going to make a huge difference. Uh, Zach Levine had positive comments ab- about the attitude in the team. Uh, Kobe White had positive comments about it. Almost everyone who's talked about it has talked about how much better the environment is, how positive it is. And you know, one quote I thought from Arturis that I think really sums up uh, the Bulls front office and how they're, they're approaching this thing, whether you like it or not, and I've been critical of it to a degree, but here's, here's this quote. In this situation, we have a clean slate, a new front office, new coaching staff establishing themselves. Cohesion takes time. We will build it the right way. No skipping steps. Our main objectives are player development and getting better every day. If you want to go back and say, what is the quote that defines this front office so far? It is no skipping steps. <laughs> this is like the Garpax flexibility. Uh, you know, this is, this is, that is their theme. No skipping steps. That's, that's the Bulls theme for this year, which is maybe not a theme that inspires lots of wins. I've got to be honest with you. It sounds like a, a theme of a team that's going to be pretty bad, uh, but it's going to build to get better. And, and maybe that is realistically where the Bulls are. Now, no skipping steps maybe means if the ultimate uh, thing you're climbing all these steps to get to is a championship, maybe no skipping steps still means uh, going out and having a near 500 season and getting into at least the play-in game in, in 10th place. I, I would be a little disappointed if the Bulls don't make it at least that high and, and end up worse than that. If they make it into the playoff game, I'll, I'll kind of be okay with, with the outcome of the season. Uh, but if they, if they miss that, then, then I think it will be a little bit downer. Now, if you've not gone and watched all these videos, I'm going to tell you, just watch this one. Go watch the Pat Williams video. Because, you know, like a lot of people, I think, weren't super high on Pat Williams. Maybe that's just me. Maybe some of the people in the blogosphere. Maybe it was his late ascension. You know, I think most people out there learning more about him, learning he played point guard in high school for three years, and he's got ball handling and passing skills that we've not really gotten to see so much. Uh, made people feel a little better. 
uh, knowing that he came in and said, all I want to do is learn how to play defense. I know how to play offense, which is an intriguing thing to say. You know, it was, was interesting. And then knowing that he's, he's such a good guy, like he's like literally just one of those humble, hungry, hardworking guys. It, it's like a phrase that we use when we're recruiting people at, at my work and I'm trying to hire people. We're looking for people who are hungry, hungry, humble, and hardworking. You have those three traits, like you pretty much always do a good job. Uh, he, he seems absolutely like one of those guys. Everything he says, you just love him a little bit more. So go watch his video and you'll fall in love with him a little bit more. Uh, and that'll be interesting. I don't know what Pat Williams' ceiling is, but I'm pretty confident he's going to get there. You know, and I, I, I'm not confident on a ceiling being so high as, as it might be with some of these other guys, but I'm pretty sure he's going to get to a ceiling. And his floor, I think, is much higher than I thought it was when I first did, you know, a draft review on him. I think his floor is much higher than I thought it was. So we'll see. We'll see what goes there. But watch his video. I, I think it's just like everything he says just makes you fall in love with this kid a little bit more. And that's it's kind of common with rookies. But I do think it's a little different. Like LaMelo Ball isn't someone I feel that way about when he talks. i got to be honest with you. And Anthony Edwards talking about how much he loves football. Uh, <laughs> it's like the first thing he talks about when he's drafted. And I, I just, you know, like that, that, that doesn't necessarily inspire the same level of confidence uh, that anything Pat Williams says, you know, about how lucky he is, how, how hard he's going to work, how he can't wait to get in and learn every day. Like all he wants to do is get better. Like, you know, everything, everything about this guy is the mission. You know, like, like everything is focused on the mission. And I think that is, I think that is great. So it, it's a positive vibe start to the offseason. And it's never going to be any different. I, I mean, I've asked, I've done these preseason media days in person uh, for maybe nearly, a, oh, probably five, six, seven years. And they're all the same. Everyone is always happy. Uh, on the first day before the games actually tip off. Everyone has great things to say before the games tip off. Uh, one final bit. It is assumed that Joakim Noah was waived from the Clippers, and it is thought that he is meant to retire uh, this year. And so uh, just hats off to Joakim, right? I mean, I, I posted a bunch of stuff on Twitter. Joakim Noah might literally be my favorite Bulls player of all time. Uh, I think he's just really, really outstanding. It, not the best player, but just so much fun to watch. One of the greatest defensive players I've seen. And really, his style of play defensively is the hallmark of NBA defense. I, I think he was actually a defense-changing player for the league. Like when Joakim Noah came in the league, people played defense one way. And when they left, they're like, man, we need to play the Joakim Noah way. This is how defense is played. He, he brought in this era of uh, very quick bigs, high switchability having your centers being able to stay with guards to create great defense, having you know much more athletic players who weren't nearly as physically strong but could get out everywhere and guard the perimeter. And then as the game became more of a three-point threat type of game, you know that became even more and more valuable. You know, and I, it, it's a shame that injuries have kind of slowed down his career. He was a guy who actually, it, it's funny, like he didn't ever have great size. He was tall, but he had short arms, didn't have great reach. Uh, so his physical package in some ways, outside of his quickness and smarts, was not really that great. I mean, he was like 6'11", I think maybe he's listed at 7 foot, but he's really 6'11", hated being called a 7 footer. And his physical package was not that great in some ways, because he didn't have those long arms, he didn't have the big mass, uh, never could shoot a basketball that great with the tornado shot, but oh man, so much fun to watch, so much hustle, so much heart, so much love, great media quotes, my favorite play of all time, posted on Twitter, The Steal. Uh, I'm Paul Pierce. It's my favorite Bulls play of all time. It's definitely not the biggest play of all time. Definitely not the most important play of all time. You know, maybe maybe Jordan's last shot, it, it qualifies for that. Or, 
you know, you got Pax's shot or Kerr's shot or some of these kind of game-winning franchise title-winning shots, you know, that the Bulls have in spades, really, when you think about it. You know, those are probably all bigger plays by a gazillion, but that is the steal is my favorite play. And they didn't even win that series. It was like a first-round series. And it sums up what I love about sport is that you can watch a team, and even if they're not a great team, you know, you can still have a moment where you enjoy it, where it's like it hits you and it's emotional and you, you're like just pumping your fists and you're going crazy and you have that pure, unadulterated joy. And, you know, Joakim Noah brought that out like all the time. You just loved watching him play. That game seven against the Nets where he was hurt going in and, and you were like, I don't even know what this guy's going to be able to do if he comes back. And he goes out and has maybe one of the greatest games of his career and just like shut up the Nets who are just like all cocky. And, oh, man, that, that was a great series. Like it was one of those like really fun series too. And that also like the same thing encapsulated – what I love about sports, like people didn't think the Bulls really had a chance in that series without Derrick Rose and Nate Robinson goes off and, and Joakim Noah goes off. I mean, just such a, such a tremendous, tremendous series and game. And so good luck to Joakim Noah. And, you know, I just, I, I just, uh, I wish him the best. I can't wait to see what they're going to do for retirement for him. I think they absolutely have to bring him back, do one of those one day retirements. Uh, let him retire as a bull. I, I think for sure you have to do that. And then you have to have some day where Joakim Noah comes back. But you have to wait for fans to be in the building. Uh, you know, Matt Peck said that first on, on Lockdown Bulls. I remember him saying that on Twitter. And I thought, oh, yeah, God, that'd be so awful if they did it this year. Joakim Noah needs to feel the full love and standing ovation of the entire Pack United Center. It's one of the few things that would make me go, I need to buy a ticket to this specific game. You know, I try to catch a couple games in person each year just for just for the fun of it. But... I would have to find a ticket to that game, kind of like almost no matter the cost. That's the game I'm going to. So they've got to wait until that point in time. All right, that's, that's enough on Joakim Noah. And in my, in my Joakim Noah love fest, I remembered one other quote I wanted to talk about, and it was from Kobe White. And Kobe, I thought, came off you know, like a little bit defiant, a little bit like Derrick Rose-ish. Did you get a Derrick Rose vibe if you watch this? And you know, a couple of things is like, I feel like I've taken a huge leap in my game, especially my decision-making, shooting off the dribble, finishing at the rim. The game is really so down for me, I'm learning. But I feel like I've made a huge leap, and I think I'm getting better for sure. I've been proving myself time and time again my whole life, proving myself and proving people wrong. Nothing new to me. My goal this year is just to get better. If I keep getting better, I'll play a long time this league and hopefully get a championship. I don't know, not quite. Like, why can't I be the MVP? He didn't, he didn't go that far. But I, I, I got like a little bit of like, like Derrick Rose vibe, like listen to that, you know? Like I just, I, I got a little bit of Derrick Rose vibe. I thought it was great. So uh, hats off. We'll see what Kobe does, you know? And I think it's an interesting, interesting storyline going into this year is that Kobe White is probably going to be the starting point guard. He's a guy, you know, if you've heard me talk on the show, I've not been excited about Kobe White's vision per se. I think he's been more of a Zach Levine type guy. He's a good combo guard, and I think sometimes you can get away really well with two combo guards, and that might actually be the future of the league is, is two combo guards. So I'm not necessarily upset about Zach and Kobe starting together. I think it'll be questionable what happens there. It's something we got to watch and wait and see how it goes. But I, I think it could work. I think both guys just need to learn how to play together a little bit more. When I saw them on the court together last year, it really looked like they did a lot of turn-taking. It reminded me kind of LeBron and Wade, who just dominated through overall talent, but didn't really ever seem to mesh well together. And I think, to me, it's a little bit of a sidebar here. I think that's why the Miami Heat, to me, will always be a disappointment. And to some degree, why LeBron James will always be a little bit of a disappointment to me is I don't feel like he ever got the best out of the people he played with. 
Uh, I really don't. And it's odd because he's such a passing-oriented player. Like, you'd feel like that's a natural that LeBron would do that, but I don't think he really ever did. And it's a weird comparison to Jordan because I think Jordan kind of always got the best out of the people he played with, even though he wasn't, like, a pass-first player. Like, you look at those Bulls teams, and they were always at the sum of their parts or greater than the sum of their parts. I mean, I I think they're actually kind of better than the sum of their parts most of the time, especially when you went on to see what those guys did for the most part as soon as they weren't Chicago Bulls. It was like really, really awful. Uh, so I, I actually think the Bulls always got more. And, and it's so weird to think like LeBron, his play style, you would think naturally would bring out more in his teammates. But it's kind of like he needed teammates who just stood around the court and waited to take an open jumper. Like he didn't really play off them in the same way uh, that other people did. And maybe that was just the coaching and the triangle system and the greatness of Phil Jackson and not so much LeBron versus Jordan. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm just pontificating there. So anyway, getting back to Kobe and Zach, there clearly no uh, LeBron and Wade in terms of overall talent. I didn't want to make that comparison. Uh, if you're all rolling your eyes about me thinking like we have the next uh, next LeBron and Dwayne Wade, no, that's not where I was going at all. But in the sense of just those guys, I think they didn't always live up to as good as they could have been, their, their overall talent, and it was because they never found a way to mesh super well together. That's my concern with, with Zach and Kobe. I, I think these guys can. I think a team can run with two combo guards. The, the era of there being this pure point guard, in some ways, I don't think it's ever existed. I think people have always overstated how common that is. There's always been so few of those guys in the league, like Magic Johnson, Chris Paul, maybe Jason Kidd. Like, There's not been like a lot of guys like that, really, uh, and, and there's not been a lot that are great, and there's only been Magic Johnson that's won a title uh, of, of playing in that play style. So it's not even something I feel you really want, to be honest. Uh, but I think these guys, is like I think they could be like Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, like as an example of, of two guys who are like kind of like maybe more combo guards than really having a pure point guard. And to some degree, even a little bit like Steph and, and Clay. I mean, I think Steph is, can kind of play this pure point guard role, but I mean, he dude takes a lot of shots. You know, he's, he's working for his own shot a huge portion of that time, not just facilitating an offense running. I mean, he's a super creative passer, and he's a much better passer, I think, than, than Kobe or, or Zach are. And again, I named four guys who are probably all better than our two guys. But the thing here is you have to project a little bit that these guys are going to get better. And you know what? Zach Levine, is just, he's just kind of like a, like a couple mental leaps away from really being a star player in this league. Like, I mean, like, really, it's, it's kind of like people are like, oh, if he was a star, he'd, he'd be there by now. Well, the dude's scoring, like, 25 points a game efficiently. Like, that's kind of like a bar you feel for star player, right? Like, it's like, if he just defended a little better and was a little smarter on offense and made a, like, a few less turnovers and, and turned, like, say, one turnover into one assist a game and kept everything else the same, just, just pretend that. He turns one turnover into one assist per game and everything else stays the same. And the Bulls basically then get three more points per game on offense just with that one change. I mean, like that, that would probably have swung like five or six games. You know, like, I mean, it's a, and I'm not saying it's just going to be that easy. Like, that's an easy thing to do. That actually would take a tremendous amount of improvement in his, his watching of the game, decision making, and other stuff to make that type of change. But, like, he's not that far away from actually being a legitimate star player in this league like he doesn't actually get credit for all the points people feel he's an empty calories player and maybe he'll always be an empty calories player but he's not like that far from being able to make that leap he really isn't and and Kobe White you know he showed flashes of being a really dynamic scorer last year and I've been down on White you know if you listen to the show I, I said his efficiency was just trash last year and he barely even deserved to play the first half of the season uh, you know so 
I think he, but he, he came on kind of strong at the end. Starts showing flashes. We'll see what he has this year. But Kobe White, if he gets that three-point shot down consistently, man, he could be pretty dangerous. He could be pretty dangerous because he takes these like really high-degree difficulty, James Harden-esque, like kind of like unblockable threes. He does like a lot of sidestep threes, a lot of step-back threes. You know, he's not just taking off the dribble, pull up in your face threes or whatever. Like, you know, he, he's getting a lot of movement in his three-point shot. Like, that's the hard three to shoot. And when you shoot that one, uh, that's the one that's really, really difficult to stop. And that's what Steph Curry does. That's what James Harden does. And Kobe White was not hitting that anywhere near consistently to be a threat like those guys were. But he was taking more of those in volume than most guys are willing to take. And his three-point percentage, it wasn't trash. Like, he's super young, and most people get better at that area. I mean, if, he, if he's able to do that and he's able just to make a little bit better decisions on finishing at the rim and knowing when he can and can't get that shot off and hitting the floater. Like, I, I, efficiency is one of those things in the NBA that people usually ramp up a lot. And we saw that throughout Kobe White's year. By the end of the year, he was a lot more efficient at the beginning of the year. He was like a 45% true shooting percentage or something like in the first like, quarter of the season or first half of the season, which is atrociously bad. It's like kick this guy out of the league bad. And by the end, he finished around 50%, which means his actual like percentage course towards the end of the year was probably around 52, 53%, which is not special, but it's like, you know, it's a big leap. So, you know what? I, I, I would just, I'm excited to see what these guys do. And maybe I'm talking myself into too much fanness. Uh, maybe doing the big red bus with Fred Pfeiffer has got me thinking a little bit too positive, uh, and, and thinking a little bit too happy about it. But I don't know. I, I, and when I think of the individual pieces, I feel like all the pieces could be actually really good. I like the way they fit together, and I, th- I think things could go well. But I can't quite come to the, the leap that even though all these pieces could be really good, that the team's going to be really good. But maybe it shouldn't surprise us. Maybe we should up our ante. Maybe we should up our expectations. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm now getting too positive. I didn't mean to end not that in the team. I didn't mean to end that way. But I hope, I hope we have a, a great season. And the next time I talk to you, we'll have watched the Bulls game. I can't wait for it. It's going to be amazing. The Bulls play on Friday, preseason game against the Houston Rockets. I, I kind of think James Harden's not going to be there, and it's going to be a trash game all around. But it's going to be Bulls basketball. That's great, and I can't wait to see it. And I'm going to talk to you guys next week.